Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. It's Monday, February 3rd. I'm Gideon Resnick. And I'm Tommy Vitor, attempting to fill in for Keela Hughes. And this is What A Day, coming to you from beautiful, undecided Iowa. Let's show them how we do it in the Corn Belt. I am currently riding a tractor. That's true. All right, Tommy, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I mean, can't think of anyone better to have talking about Iowa and the caucuses. Uh, That's your bread and butter. For those of you who may not know, Tommy was Iowa press secretary for then-candidate Barack Obama in 2008. Heard of him when they pulled off a huge upset victory in the caucuses, and really, the rest of it is history. Ah, Good old days. Yeah, Yeah, that was fun. Do you ever get flashbacks? While you're here? Being here is incredibly nostalgic. A a lot has changed, but a lot of the caucus process is exactly the same, including the same reporters, the same big supporters that that turned out and volunteered for Obama in 08. So this is very much a nostalgia tour for me. Nice. Uh, So we are in Iowa recording this in a hotel room. So if you hear knocking or any other craziness, that's that's what it is. Uh, Recording this on midday Sunday, actually the Super Bowl hasn't happened yet. I ordered room service. Is that okay? Yeah, great. That's perfect. Uh, And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the Iowa caucuses. Of course, they take place Monday night. So if you are listening to this Monday morning, that is tonight, folks. It's the first chance that voters are getting to actually start picking a Democratic nominee. It seems like it's been forever and this race has gone on as long as I've been alive. I can't believe we finally made it. Forever. Forever. So, Tommy, I, I want to talk about um, what we've been seeing on the ground here in Iowa so far, expectations going into the caucuses, uh, how the race could change coming out of them. But first, I think it, it's good to quickly go over how these caucuses work. Mm-hmm. There are two main steps. First, you and your friends and family show up at your precinct at or before 7 p.m., a school, gym, church, something of the sort. And you effectively stand in a corner where your candidate supporters are gathering and then there is a count. That's the first round or first alignment. But after that, what happens? Yeah. So the way to understand the caucuses is that there's basically 1,700 mini elections happening all across Iowa on caucus night. So you show up at, at a certain place at a certain time and then you literally go stand in a corner for your candidate. So if you support Tom Steyer, you stand over here. If you support Joe Biden, you stand over there. And then everyone there gets counted. And now this is where it gets kind of hinky. There's something called a viability threshold. And to to be considered viable, you need to have support for more than 15% of the people in the room, in your precinct, that individual location. And if you're not viable, uh, then you can either... You can leave. You can say, I don't want to caucus anymore. I'm going home. Or you can realign with another candidate uh, and become a supporter for your second choice. So that's what makes the Iowa caucuses kind of interesting and different. It also means that candidates are 
extra nice in Iowa because they want you to like them even if you're not uh, even if your candidate's not their first choice. Right. You need to keep favorability high so that, you know, in the case that your person fails, you can come on over and, and switch sides. Yeah. And this really happens on an individual level. Like in a precinct, you will hear stories where uh, an undecided voter just found someone in one candidate's corner annoying and another was their best friend. And that's where they ended up. Wow. It's, it's that easy, folks. Look for your best friends. <laughs> Democracy. Look, yeah. Look for your worst enemies. Um, right. Okay. So there, there's a bunch of chatter and persuading that goes on between the rounds, like we're saying, to to get those caucusers to come over to your corner. Um, this year, some things are, are a little bit different with how the results are going to actually get reported. There are going to be two sets of vote tallies, one from the first alignment, one from the second or final alignment, and then an equivalent delegate count. In the past, it was the delegate count that got reported out. So how do we kind of think that these other sets of numbers are going to change or impact how the results get read and then and how people are actually, the candidates themselves are actually talking about the results? Yeah. So I, I think an imperfect analogy uh, for how you should think about this is there's the electoral college and the popular vote, right? So what you're competing for in the primary process are delegates. Mm -hmm. And so what will come out of Iowa and what is awarded to the candidates who, who do well or seen the winner are the most delegates, right? So that's the key thing going forward is getting these delegates. But this year, the Iowa Democratic Party wanted to be more transparent. So they will release what's called like the raw vote total, and they'll do it twice. They'll do it before that realignment process we talked about and after. So, you know, hopefully this will be seen as uh, an effort to give voters more information and help people understand what's going on. But you could also see a scenario where um, one candidate wins the, the battle for state delegate equivalents and another wins the popular vote and it's seen as a split decision and you're just off to the races with a spin war between the press and the campaigns. Right. And then inevitably people are only splitting something like, you know, 40, 41, 41 delegates yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it, in a lot of senses, it is sort of a, a, a spin type of situation and a momentum type of situation. Exactly. After. Um, but let's talk about where things stand going into the caucuses. Um, we're in an interesting situation because there have been a couple of recent polls that showed Senator Bernie Sanders in the lead. There was a New York Times poll that had Sanders, I think, with a seven-point lead, followed by South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, then former Vice President Joe Biden, and then Senator Elizabeth Warren. A CBS poll uh, had Sanders with a one-point lead, followed by Biden, Buttigieg, Warren. So then in the last 24 hours, we were expecting this other poll to come out from the Des Moines Register, the much lauded, um, you know, seltzer operation. And then at the last minute, they decided not to publish it due to an issue where Pete Buttigieg's, Pete Buttigieg wasn't named by the poller when they were asking one or maybe more respondents about which candidate they support. Apparently, it had to do with a font, font size. size situation. Yeah. So all of that aside, that, that craziness, what do we make of this decision um, not to publish and Historically, how impactful have those final polls mm -hmm. typically been? So a few thoughts. One, just a weird twist on a weird year. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, even being here, when I think back to 2007 and 2008, the Iowa caucuses felt like the center of the universe. Hillary versus Obama was the story that everyone was covering. Now, this year, you have the ongoing Trump show. You have impeachment. There were days over the, you know, the previous week where the Des Moines Register didn't have uh, Iowa caucus news on the front page. So things have just felt a little off. Um, this Des Moines Register poll is seen as the most accurate in the business. In 2007 and 8, they called the caucuses basically spot on, and they were able to 
capture the fact that Obama was bringing new people into the process. And that was a big part of the discussion always, because, you know, when you're talking about a caucus turnout in 2008 of, I think, 248,000 people, if 10 or 20,000 new people show up that that you weren't expecting, that changes everybody's math and can wildly impact the election. So everyone was waiting for this Des Moines Register poll last night. Like, you, you know, 759, you could hear alarms going off or people waiting for this thing. And then this weird twist happened where apparently one of the men or women working in this call center increased the font size uh, so that he or she could read it more easily. And it cut Pete's name off the poll. And someone polled was um, quick enough to call the Buttigieg campaign and say, hey, I wasn't given as an option on this poll. And they reported it back. And you know, before you know it, uh, it's in the New York Times. And the poll is being pulled from CNN and the Des Moines Register. And it's just a mess. And look, personally, I feel really bad for the staff at the Des Moines Register because that's like the little uh, engine that could newspaper. They do so much heroic work covering these caucuses. Uh, and this poll probably cost them a shitload of money. Um, and Ann Seltzer, the pollster who does the poll, is the best in the business in, in terms of polling Iowa. So it stinks that this is you know, going to be part of that legacy. But in some ways, maybe it's good for all of us baby pundits out here to just go caucus, go vote. Don't listen to a poll. Yeah, I completely agree I, on, on that last point you made. Well, on both points. I mean, I, I did feel bad because it's, like you said, like this is something that takes a lot of time and effort and money. But secondarily, it's like even releasing something this close just seems like an opportunity that's ripe for people to either take their foot off the gas or be disappointed. Totally. And then I'm just like, I, I don't really see the the necessity in in you know, that having been out at that time. Yeah. Um, I guess the lesson also is make sure you go to an optometrist and <laughs> uh, have a good prescription so you can read font yeah, sizes yeah. accordingly. LASIK um, people. Yeah. So, so uh, you've been spending a lot of time in Iowa this year, obviously, you know, doing, doing a show on it and last year. And I've been here the last couple of days going to candidate events and talking to voters. Um, the, my biggest takeaway, and it's, it's a fairly obvious one, is I've just been struck by how indecisive some people remain even in the last few days and how committed they are to seeing candidates in person. I I feel like I've spoken to a lot of people who have said they either plan to see everybody or have seen everybody at Mm -hmm. least once and they're still sort of deciding. Um, But let's listen to some of what people in Iowa had to say over the last couple of days. I plan on caucusing for Bernie. And um, why are you excited about him? Um, Well, it, it was hard this year. Yeah. Um, I came down to the two progressive candidates, and um, I guess I'm just hedging my bets. <laughs> I think that Joe Biden is probably the best person uh, to do that and to beat Trump. We've got to be, Democrats have to beat Trump. And as a lifelong Republican, that really pains me. It pains me to say that yeah. because, um, you know, I disagree with a lot of Joe Biden's policies, but I think some things are bigger than our individual political positions. I've been looking at all the candidates. Um, I'm, I was committed to Kamala Harris, um, so I've been kind of trying to find my new candidate. Um, and I've seen Warren a couple times, and I think this is, I'm ready to make my final decision. So, yeah. And do you know who you're going to be supporting on Monday? Yes, Pete Buttigieg. And um, what draws you to place? I was on the fence before I came tonight about who I was going to be caucusing for just because I wanted to kind of hear what he had to say before I made that decision, but he's so articulate and authentic, and I really appreciate the fact that his message of not wanting to occupy the Oval Office but having a passion to lead people is his moral foundation, and so that's what sold me on him tonight. 
I'm a super liberal person, I would say. I'm super progressive, not only on economic issues, but on social issues, too. And I think Bernie is the only is the only candidate who is not like a center-right Democrat, but an actually progressive person. Well, to tell you the truth, they're, they're all on the same track. I, I think more so than previous years. They're uh, really strong on the environment, which is a priority for me. Uh, and... Uh, I think they're going to all be all strong on democracy, which is a new priority that's just emerged the last couple of weeks. That was Peggy Gingrich, Christopher Jones, Karen Nubb, Lucy Shegloth, Kelly, whose last name we did not get, Charles Clark, all in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So lots of different ideas about the candidates there and just different criteria for even making a decision that mm-hmm. people don't necessarily think about when they're thinking about how people choose candidates. But as you've been hitting events and talking to people, anything surprising or notable that you've seen over the weekend? I think the um, the elephant in the room for every conversation with every caucus goer is fear about Donald Trump getting reelected. And so in 2007 and 2008, uh, people were more hopeful and optimistic about the future. George Bush was behind them, and they were willing to say, take a chance on nominating the first African-American uh, president of the United States. This year... It's just it's punditry. People are scared to death. They yeah. want to pick a winner, and they're uh, they're terrified of getting it wrong. Um, and so I think that's the overriding thing. The other thing I've noticed is that for all the conventional wisdom in Washington and New York and green rooms about like lanes, the progressive lane and the moderate lane, I've found that all to be nonsense. Voters are complicated. They have weird reasons for liking who they like. Um, and who knows, maybe you like Bernie Sanders and your, your second choice is Biden, or maybe it's Tulsi. Like, it's just people are uh, more interesting and creative in their thinking than we give them credit for. And so, you know, on these last events, um, it's, they're helpful, I think, to see who feels like they have momentum and they're getting big crowds and people see, seem excited because showing up to an event uh, is a bit of a test case for getting people to show up on caucus night, right? right. Like, and you want exuberant people who are hitting doors on those last days. But you've probably noticed this. There are so many out-of-state people here right now. If you go to a candidate event in Des Moines, it's like half people from California. Right. So you can never really tell. It's like it's all very anecdotal. Yeah, it's difficult. That, that's been one of the things I've, I've found difficult in terms of the crowd size thing specifically is, you know, there are people like... I heard even people from like Australia. Yeah. And like what... like. I, I guess it's cool that you're here, but I'm like, what? I'm asking you, like, are you in a caucus? And they're like, no, I live in Sydney. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you got to ask that. You got to ask the where are you from question first before you're having a great interview with a voter. Yes, exactly. Um, so, as we were saying before, the results in Iowa don't inevitably determine much in terms of actual delegates. Yep. There are a lot of states yet to vote and a lot of delegates left to win. And it's all about creating this momentum and showing this viability, particularly this year when there is this overarching fear of like, we need one person to just be the person that can beat Trump. Um, And so what it turns out to be is that a lot of this has to do with whether the candidates win or they beat expectations. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about those expectations here. How do they get set? Is it a disadvantage to have high expectations going in? And do candidates try to lower expectations typically and and have they been doing so this time oh my god yeah i mean i would try desperately to spin reporters and to lower obama's expectations all the time to with comical effect i mean david yepsen who's like the dean of the iowa press corps wrote for the des moines register 
uh, you know, uh, for decades. I remember an email he wrote back to me when I was trying to spin him that Hillary needed to beat Obama by 10. Uh, he said, I hope you didn't pull your back out writing that email because you were spinning so hard. So it's a constant <laughs> process. I mean, I was interesting because starting in 1972, um, lesser known candidates like uh, George McGovern and then later Jimmy Carter were able to campaign in Iowa at the grassroots level without a lot of money, without a lot of national press attention, and with a surprisingly uh, strong finish, garner much more attention going into the next contest. So right. Iowa can be a springboard for candidates, and it can also winnow the field down. If you don't do well enough, you're going to be seen as a, as a losing effort. You're not going to get money, uh, and it can end your night right there. So that's the key. But yeah, the expectations management part is some ways the most ridiculous and infuriating. Sometimes it feels like um, uh, Wall Street earnings expectations that like no one ever explains to you who, who is setting the, the street's target for some dumb stock and why did it go up and down? I will never understand, which is why I don't gamble yeah. on that. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Um, no, a good, good lesson for the listener. So, so then what, what are you specifically going to be watching for knowing that we, we know that and knowing, you know, that right now that the campaigns are either doing the like, we'll see, or like, we're extremely confident type thing. What, what are you going to be looking for? I mean, I think the question I have right now is how real is uh, the Bernie Sanders momentum that we've seen? I think it's undeniable that he's gotten hot at the right time, right? I mean, the, the mantra in Iowa is organize, 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 get hot late. If you get hot too early, your rivals take shots at you and you tend to come down to earth. Bernie's gotten hot at the right time. The question is, does he have the organization and infrastructure in place to capture that enthusiasm and turn those people into volunteers, voters, uh, and delegates ultimately? And we just don't know. Now, in 2016, Bernie basically tied Hillary here. She just beat him. Mm -hmm. But if he'd organized just a little bit better in a few precincts in Des Moines, he might have won. So I think they learned a lot of lessons from 16 and have tried to apply them. And what would it mean then as a follow to that, I guess, for for him to win or for uh, any of the top four candidates or any of the people that have been pulling the top four to, to you know win outright? I'm talking like uh, first alignment and then delegates as well. I mean, I think if you know if you see someone like Bernie Sanders win uh, in in terms of delegates and the popular vote, I think that's going to be seen as a pretty overwhelming win. And the question for him is, does that lead to more fundraising? Does that lead to more momentum and propel him into New Hampshire, where he is also doing well, and lead to a commanding victory in New Hampshire? Because once you rack up a couple wins in a row, that will put him in a very strong place to make a run uh, at Joe Biden. In South Carolina, where Biden does much better among African American voters. Um, now, look, in 08, when Obama won Iowa, we thought we were going to springboard to New Hampshire, mop up Hillary that night, and, and end the primary quickly. And it turned out to be the longest, most brutal primary process I could have ever imagined. So, who knows what's going to, how this is going to play out? Yeah, I think that's the right, the right attitude to have for sure is the is the who knows because uh, that's certainly how i feel and do you remember then we were talking about your your time here in in 07 08 do you remember how you felt the the last day going into the caucuses or the actual day of you know you're just when you've been doing this for a year you're obsessing about one moment every minute of your life for an entire year of your life uh and then when it finally comes you are so exhausted and strung out and anxious that it's just, you know, you all you, you just freak out for 24 hours. And then when we finally won, I mean, my last memory is uh, being backstage 
uh, with the senior staff in Iowa, it's probably like eight or 10 of us. Um, and Barack Obama and Michelle came and, you know, hugged the whole team and spoke to us and thanked us because winning Iowa for him, he's since said was the most meaningful point of his political career, better than winning the presidency even because it was this big open question and test. And he felt like he was able to deliver on a process or on a promise of bringing new people uh, into the electoral process and building this new coalition that then allowed him to win the White House twice. And so after that moment and spending time with uh, Obama and Michelle, everything else is a blur, probably because I was drinking to great excess. And then I got uh, on a very hungover flight to Chicago the next day to start working there. Nice. So everybody can expect to feel uh, insanely anxious yeah, and (laughs) drink themselves to near oblivion. Um, Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, To hear more about Iowa, check out Pod Save America's newest episode later today and go deeper on the history of the Iowa caucuses and how we ended up with this crazy system on Tommy's five-part miniseries called On the Ground in Iowa. It's in the Pod Save America feed. Look it up. You will not be disappointed. Thank you again. Or crooked.com slash Iowa. Yeah, both right now. And now for some ads. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life mm-hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, <laughs> everyone's getting flowers. <laughs> Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, Books promo code WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. 
The Pentagon reported an increase in the number of U.S. service members injured in an Iranian missile strike earlier this month. At least 64 service members have been diagnosed with traumatic brain injury. The announcement came just last week. and It's also the fourth time the official injury toll has risen. That definitely includes the time President Trump said that no Americans have been harmed in this attack on Iraqi bases. Uh, groups like the Veterans of Foreign Wars are calling for Trump to apologize for those comments, saying he dismissed a very serious injury some service members face. For their part, the Pentagon officials said the number continued to rise because traumatic brain injuries take some time to manifest. Officials also say that 39 of those who were injured have already returned to duty and 17 are scheduled to return to the U.S. Um, an investigation published by the New York Times has revealed a culture of harassment and misogyny inside influential lingerie brand Victoria's Secret. Ed Razik, the former chief marketing officer of Victoria's Secret parent company L Brands, was the subject of numerous complaints. He allegedly tried to kiss models, sat them on his lap at Victoria's Secret fashion shows, and fired women who rebuffed him. Complaints about Razik were ignored by the founder of L Brands, Leslie Wexner, a billionaire whose fortune was managed by, you guessed it, sex criminal Jeffrey Epstein. It's Ugh. always Epstein. Uh, Epstein also reportedly used his connections to Victoria's Secret to bait women by pretending to be a recruiter for the brand. Lord. Disgusting. Uh, the FDA has approved the first drug for treating peanut allergies. Hey, hey. That's exciting. The drug is called Palforzia. Why do they all sound like that? And it works by exposing the patient to a very small amount of peanut protein over six months or longer. Truly a drug inspired by my favorite mantra, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger by pharmaceutical industry legend, Kelly Clarkson. I'm reading this cold, people. Palforzia has only been approved for children ages 4 to 17, and scientists stress it isn't a cure for severe peanut allergies. It reduces risk of reactions, but should still be combined with peanut avoidance. That's still promising news for the 2.5% of children in the U.S. who still have the nut allergy. Uh, still no comment, though, on why planters had planned to kill off Mr. Peanut uh, in a Super Bowl ad. I find that disturbing. Yeah, and then they reversed it after the Kobe Bryant thing. Yeah, it's just very, very strange. I'm allergic to that. that yeah, I'm allergic story. to brands on Twitter. Yes, that's 100% true. I'm getting hives just talking about it. Uh, <laughs> folks, whenever I need to reflect on my wild and crazy life, I just look at the tangled rat's nest of phone chargers I've acquired over many years of adventures. But that might not be an option anymore, at least not in the EU, because the European Parliament voted overwhelmingly last week to approve a resolution that would urge lawmakers to standardize phone charging yes. cables. That is great. Yes. Uh, the resolution cited e-waste as the main reason for the switch, and it would likely push cell phone companies to adopt USB-C as the cable du jour. Now, Apple would be the company most affected by a standard cable since their mobile products use a proprietary lightning cable, which is really annoying. Uh, unsurprisingly, they oppose the parliament's resolution and say it would stifle innovation. Innovation is a French word meaning very expensive cables. <laughs> and those are the headlines. That's all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, chill with us in Cedar Rapids, and tell your friends to listen. By the way, if you're into reading and not just candidate issue pages on shark defense like me, What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I can't stress this enough. The What a Day newsletter is hilarious. It's awesome. I'm Tommy Vitor. I'm Gideon Resnick. And that's, and that's how, how you swing, swing an undecided, undecided voter in names. Get out there. Go caucus.
What a Day is a product of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Charlotte Landis. Sonia Tan is our assistant producer. Our head writer is John Milstein, and our senior producer is Katie Long. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Feel like you got enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high.